Welcome to Real Estate Business Explained. On this show, we share insights to what it really looks like to build a real estate business from the inside, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm Sean, and as a coach and trainer, over the past 15 years, I've seen it all, and I wanna share what I've learned with you. So whether you're just getting started or you've already got a lot going on and you're just looking for something new, I'm confident there's gonna be something here for you. Let's get into it. Hey, I'm Sean, and welcome to today's podcast. This is episode 42. We've been going for a couple episodes now on the conversational thread of of the process I like to go through when I hire someone. And this is what I I coach all of my clients to do as well. It's, It's huge. There's a ton of stuff that you should do with every single hire. It tends to be way more than people expect. But here's the thing. Most business owners are going to spend as much, if not often more time with the people that they hire than even their family. It's kind of weird, but this is just how the world has worked itself out. So we spend a lot of time with these people. So in addition to wanting to make sure that the investment we're making in both finance and time to get someone to come and work alongside us is worth it, we also want to make sure that we're going to be a fit. We're going to enjoy working together. We're going to understand each other. Okay. So we've talked about how to design the role. We've talked about the different types of ways you can hire someone. We've talked about the ways that you can pay people. We've talked about designing a really clear overview of what the role entails and and what they're going to be doing on a day-to-day basis. Today, I want to talk about setting standards, goals, and expectations. Before someone comes in and starts working with you, they need to know what, what the measuring stick is, that their performance and how they show up is being evaluated against. And a lot of people skip this step. People often will just bring someone uh, into their business and then they ignore them for a couple of weeks and hope that they figure things out. And it, it's it's kind of crazy because you know they might've been able to do it if you at the very least showed them what you needed from them. But a lot of the time people just don't really have a plan and they don't know what's realistic and they don't even know maybe what they want. So this is a conversation that honestly like, we're going pretty in depth on all the things that we do when we hire someone. I think a lot of people aren't going to check every single box every single time that they bring someone in. And yet this is a box I would never skip because this is what gives people clarity. And this is what gives them the understanding of how to show up so that they can get what they want and and be part of your, your team. Okay. So, this is the measuring stick. It's, it's about creating clarity on their first few months because we want to make sure that they, they prove to you and you show to them that it's going to be a working fit before they continue past that. And it's also just something that we want to have, not just for new hires, but for our whole team so that everyone is kind of operating culturally in the same, um, in the same wave, like wavelength, we'll say. Okay. So, We're going to talk about the first 90 days a lot today, and that's just because it's kind of become customary in business and and legally throughout, you know, most of North America that people in their first 90 days are on what we often refer to as a probationary period. It's like a trial, right? You, You date someone casually before you move in together kind of thing. So the first 90 days, there's there's not a lot of expectations in terms of a guarantee either way that someone's going to remain working with you unless they show up the way that you expect them to. So the first 90 days are really like your tryouts. And a lot of people will let softer performance dribble past 90 days and then get really frustrated at the money that they've wasted at six months or eight months or 10 months with someone 
But the first 90 days should give you enough of a, a, a view into how this person is going to operate to know what's going to happen in the future. Now, I'm not saying that life stuff isn't going to come up, right? Like there are some tragedies that befall people. There's, you know, sickness and mental health and family stuff and just, you know, whatever can, can happen to someone and that can change things. But if someone shows up consistently and predictably and they're doing the right things for 90 days, Typically, you can expect that that's going to continue beyond that. So it's a really nice way to, to protect your, your business and protect the people who are in it too. Because if someone comes in and is operating at a lower standard than the rest of the team, they're, they're basically showing the team that there is no standard. Okay. So today we're going to talk about standards. We're going to talk about goals and we're going to talk about expectations. And the first one is standards. It is so important when you bring someone in to your business that you have a clear conversation with them about what the standards are of the business are. Okay. So a few episodes, we talked about our mission, our vision, and our values. And our values are something that I think are kind of the yin to the yang of standards. Values tend to be kind of more like ideals. They're not something that is clear cut. It's less measurable. It's more conceptual than tangible. Um, whereas standards are the exact opposite. They're specific measurables as to how people are expected to show up and operate within a business. And these can be anything, right? Like it could just be that we're punctual. One of my, my things is that if you say you're going to do something, I expect that you're going to do it. And I don't care if you tell me you're not going to do something, I'll find someone else to do it. I'd actually rather you told me that you weren't going to do it because, then I'll make sure that someone else gets it done. But when I, when I have someone tell me that they're going to do something and then it doesn't happen, it just shows me that they're not a person of integrity and it, it just drives me crazy. So our, our standards can be things that, um, that are really a nice measuring stick for people to know how to show up. Um, they can be, uh, they can be things that are simple. You can also have some more complex stuff. Like we've got standards, uh, like some guidelines that we, we drew up for how people ought to communicate with each other to make sure that there's clarity and that when the baton gets passed, it gets handed back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Um, it can be little things like people's contribution to the team's momentum. So in sales, one of the standards that we often see will be associated with some form of lead indicator, right? Typically brand new agent, my standards are going to involve them doing a certain amount of lead generation every week. Once a, an agent has built up a significant amount of business, I might move the standard from being cold prospecting uh, numbers, like the number of conversations they're having to something a little bit looser like appointments. Cause if they're bringing in the appointments for new business, I don't really care how they're doing it. I just care that it's happening. Right? So uh, if you're not hitting your appointment goals, the standard changes to be that you're doing your lead generation and cold calls or door knocks or, you know, pop buys with your sphere, whatever th those things are. And if you are hitting your appointment goals, I don't really care so long as we may maintain those appointment goals. So the standards can often kind of change a little bit based on where someone is in their development in the business, but there are going to be clear cut things that are going to just be rigid. And usually those are going to be more in terms of like how the team operates and communicates and cares for one another. Okay. So standards is the easy one because it's usually going to be five to 10 little things that you just say, Hey, you know what, coming into the business, you need to know that all of us are doing this. And that's just the minimum that we expect from someone who comes in with us to maintain their partnership 
with the rest of the, the group that we have here. You don't do this. You're showing us that you don't respect the effort that everyone else is putting in, and we're not going to want you here then. Okay, so that's easy. The meat and the potatoes is the goals. Because I'm, I'm, earlier I was talking about the measuring stick. And when you bring someone new into your organization, sure, we're going to give them some standards for how to conduct themselves and what the, the minimums are that we need to see. But we also want to make sure that there's benchmarks that we set for the first 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days that they're going to, to need to meet in order to remain with the group. So you need to be really careful about how you set the goals for the first 30, 60, and 90 days. Because if we set the goals too high, it's showing it's, it's basically going to make it impossible for them to succeed. And a lot of us love to set big goals. Like we, we like to think about ideals. Like it would be perfect if every agent on my team booked two listing appointments every single week. Well, my team's in a million dollar market. I don't even book two signable listing appointments every single week. And I produce a lot of revenue. So why would I expect a new agent to do that? And we see this all the time where people will put the benchmarks at what they think the ideal is. And it's just, it, it's kind of goofy because you're setting them up to feel like they're not going to be a success when in reality, it's you as the leader who should know better how to set goals. Okay. Goals are often something that can get really messy in the first 30, 60, and 90 days, because we tend to focus on all the stuff that we want to see them do. And if you're not careful to differentiate between the 80%, like the administrative stuff they're going to have to figure out in order to be able to perform the tasks of service to their clients, you're going to, you need them to learn that stuff. But if you clutter up their goal sheet with every little administrative thing or every standard operating procedure they're going to need to learn, they're not going to have a clear idea of what you really need to see in order for them to stay. And usually what you really need to see from someone in order for them to stay in your business is performance, right? I don't care if you mistag something in the database a couple times in your first couple months, but I really care if you spent all your time for the first two months just kind of hanging out and tinkering with our systems and you didn't pick up the phone and make calls. If you're a new agent, I need to see you pick up the phone and make calls. Otherwise, I don't think you're ever going to do it, okay? So you've got to be really clear what the big rocks are when you're setting benchmarks for someone in their first couple months with you so that they know where they should focus. They're going to get those first benchmarks done. And then after they know that they've like, they've made the runway and, and they're, they're safe after they've done that, they're going to go and do all the tinkery stuff. Read my standard operating procedures at that time. I promise it'll put you to sleep. Here's how we tag our database. Here's how we make sure that we submit a listing correctly. Go memorize your scripts afterwards. There's in, in my, my agent academy for my new agents that I'm coaching, there's a reason that we do script practice after lead generation. It's because we want them to do the lead generation first. And that's your number one priority. If you haven't done your lead generation, you should skip lead pra uh, script practice and you should go do lead generation because that's a more important thing. Okay. So I thought it would be fun to give a couple examples of what I would want to see from a new hire coming into my business if they were both an administrator and an agent in the first 30, 60, 90 days. Okay. So if I was hiring a new admin and I did not yet have an admin, here's what I would expect from them in the first 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. Remember too, that I'm going to make really clear what is the, the 20%, the, the must do big rocks in their goals and the rest of all this stuff. Okay. So 30 days, what I'm going to want them to do is review all my current systems and make rep recommendations and a plan for revisions. 
That's it. That's the only thing I want to know. At the end of your first month, you understand every system in my business and you have a, a clear plan for how you're going to make my business better. If you're not improving and building new systems, then you're not the right person, okay? 60 days, what I want them to do is implement the changes. So they're gonna implement all the changes that they recommended in their first month, which should be easy because they've already got it all planned out and they're gonna, they're gonna launch the new tools. I also want them to take on customer communication for two key parts of my business. So in the second 30 days that a new administrator is with me, after they've launched all the new systems and tools that they planned to, to launch with me in, in their first month, what they're gonna focus on is communicating with my customers because I need that off my plate. And the two key parts of my client journey that I want them to take over is listing signed to listing launched. I want them to take over the staging, the photography, all the stuff that needs to tinker away and it's all chronological and it's just messy and I can't deal with it because I'm not at my desk most of the time. And then the other thing that I want my new administrator to do in their second 30 day period with me is I want them to take over contract to close. So I want them to be responsible for making sure that the buyer's lawyer is connected with the seller's lawyer. I wanna make sure, or escrow if you in the United States is set up. I wanna make sure that all of the utility reminders are sent out. I wanna make sure that conditions are met. Obviously, I'm gonna be there for a lot of this stuff, but I don't wanna to have to worry about timeframes. I don't wanna to have to send reminders. I don't wanna to have to fax waivers or you know, notices back and forth. I just want to give it to them and say, here's what you need to know. What else are you curious about? They ask me some questions and then off they go. Now, you'll notice that there's a lot more that I'm expecting from them in month two. And that's because they've been shown all this in month one. So my new administrator came in. I said, here's your goals for month one, two, and three. 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, here's what I expect to happen. Month one was really light. There wasn't a lot to do because they were planning month two and three throughout all of month one, okay? So my, my big rocks in the second month with my new admin were that I want them to implement a whole bunch of changes that they planned out in the first month. They're launching new tools. The second one is they're taking over customer communication for launching listings and contract to close. And there's a third one. I want them to plan and prepare to launch marketing campaigns the next month. Because as an administrator, I'm gonna be creating content and I need it to be edited, cleaned up, and posted so that my socials, my emails, and everything else that I'm doing has a really, really nice global campaign that's always cooking in the background. We'll add more tinkery conversion stuff later, but that's, that's what I'm expecting, okay? So in their third month, their 60 to 90 days with me, um, really what I, what I wanna do is I wanna maintain 100% of client communication. So anything that's happening with clients, they're in charge of it and they're launching the new marketing, okay? Um, I'm also going to make sure that throughout those three months, I'm providing them with clarity on the little stuff that they need to know. So those were my big rocks. I said, hey, new admin, here's what I need to see month one, two, and three, but I'm also gonna give them the checklists. I'm just gonna make sure that the big rocks are highlighted in yellow, they're a larger font size, and they're in bold, and they got like a circle drawn around them with a, a crayon so that it's just so clear that I don't care if you don't finish my workplace, workplace health and safety manual. What I care about is 
contract to close, launching my new marketing campaign, cleaning up my systems, and showing me that you're going to be able to manage the communication side of my business when I have that tinkery stuff that needs to happen with my clients. Okay. Let's talk about a new agent. This one's a little trickier because I really work my agents hard when they launch with me. And I'm unapologetic about it. This is a hard job. This is a job where you can make basically no education, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they do all the time. So here's, here's the deal. I'm going to run you ragged in your first 90 days because I want to see that you have it in you. If, if you're 30 days in as a new agent on my team and you're, you're running out of steam already, you're not going to last on my team. So I would rather that we were just in a position together where we had that conversation early and we both mutually figured out that this wasn't going to work and you get to move on to your next opportunity. I don't pour a ton of energy into someone that isn't going to, to bring it back. Cause when you hire a new agent, here's the deal. You pour energy and resources into them for a full year before you start to see a real return. Sure. They're going to crank out a couple deals, but you could have taken that energy that you put into that person and cut it, to one tenth and written those deals and kept more of the money. The value in bringing an agent into your business really starts to show up in year two and three. So we need to know they're going to make it. Okay. So you're going to notice when I talk about benchmarks for bringing a new agent on your team, that they're harder. There's just a lot more that needs to happen. Okay. So their main priority in the first 30 days is to generate two appointments. Generate two appointments. I've got six other things on my little list here and they could screw every single one of those things up. I don't care. You generate two appointments, we're good for month two, okay? Remember as well, throughout this whole process, we're setting goals for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. When someone's coming in, if they don't meet the 30-day goal, they're immediately, like in, in the crosshairs, they need to meet goals every 30 days. It's just because we say that there's a 90 day pro probation period doesn't mean that you drag it out for 90 days. I would routinely let people go at the 30 day mark if they weren't hitting their 30 day goals because I don't want to pay them or continue pouring energy into them for another 60 days if they show me in the first 30 days that they're not going to show up. I do this all the time. It's way better for both of us. Okay. So first 30 days for the new agent, I want two appointments. That's my one big rock. I'm going to circle that with the crayon. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to draw little arrows pointing at it. Go find two signable appointments for people who want to do business sometime this year. We're going to go meet them together. There's nothing else more important, but there's a lot of stuff I also want them to do. I also want to see that they put 150 names in my database, people who they know, like, and trust that are friends with them. And I'm not, I'm not saying like first name, last initial. I want first name, last name, email, cell phone number, home address. Okay. Then we're going to call all of those 150 people in the first month. Remember, this isn't that bad. If you really think about it, we should be making phone calls. 150 people I could call in two days. If I was working four hour call blocks, this is not insane. They're going to look at you like you're insane. Remember, this is very doable. I'm also going to have some form of a scripting routine on my team where every day we're doing scripting. If you don't have this on your team, sh uh, shameless plug, you should get with us because we're doing scripting every single day and we'd love to support you so that you're getting this. But a new agent should be honing their skills. Remember that in real estate, an agent's craft is the words that they speak. I'm sorry, there's nothing else that is more important than your ability 
to have dialogues that make people comfortable and confident in working with you and stop. That's just a fact. So they need to be in, in their first 30 days with me. They need to be at script practice every day. I say in the first 30 days, but I'm going to put a little asterisk there for their entire career with me. They're going to be in script practice five days a week. Okay. In that same month, I'm going to also expect that that agent is going to be having a hundred conversations every week once they're done with their 150 sphere members. So they put their sphere of influence of people that know, like, and trust them in the database. All I want from them in the first couple of weeks is to talk to all those people. It's going to take a little bit more time, right? These are friends of theirs. They're announcing their new career. Some of these conversations are going to be 10 minutes long. I'm going to coach them on how to keep them productive and business focused. But at the same time, it's just a fact that it'll take a little bit. So that'll eat a lot. I also want them to email all of them individually, one by one, to introduce them to the team and share some links and resources. They can check us out. As soon as that's done, which shouldn't take more than two weeks, I'm going to have them calling 100, 100 people every week at a minimum. Okay, Calling, I, I would also say that they could door knock, depending on what their, you know, some people have knee problems or whatever. You can be on the phone. Door knocking is arguably better. So they're going to be doing that. Um, and I'd also like them to know the standard operating procedures for our database. And I'd like them to shadow some buyer showings and some open houses. Like I said, they're going to be busy. Okay, so if, if a new agent does all that in month one, they move into month two. The second month with me, I have even higher expectations. That's just the reality. They had all of month one to spool up. Just like the administrator example I shared, if they were doing everything they should be doing in month one, they're going to have a lot more momentum in month two. With the salesperson, it's less project-based and it's more client-based. So in month two, ideally, you're going to have them sign one to two clients. And I like to make this a goal, even though a lot of the time people will, um, how do I say it? A lot of the time it might take till the third month to sign their first client, but I want to make it a goal in, this, in month two because I want them to be thinking, who's my client? Where is this person when they're making their calls? Because we're telling them to make a lot of calls, right? But they need to, on every single call, be asking themselves, I need to find one or two people to sign next month. Who are these people? Could you be my, my person? Okay, now I'm going to mention something here. Depending on the market that you're in, these numbers are going to vary. I, on my team, would love to see a new client sign in someone's you know, fifth or sixth week. However, in my market, we were in a $1.3 million price point. The average person does not move very readily because the average person probably uh, you know, has soft costs associated with a move of about $100,000 to $150,000. It's a painful experience. I've done it many times, trust me. So it takes time. And the reality is that we're not doing four deals a month on my team. If an agent is doing two deals a month, I'm really happy with them because of our price point. We're earning big checks on every deal. If you're in, you know, middle America somewhere and you have a price point of $90,000, the, the, the numbers are going to be really different. So when I say one or two new clients signed to a representation contract, either a list or a buyer, and when I say that that's a goal in the first 60 days, just take it with a grain of salt. It might be three to five clients signed to make sense in your market if you're in a lower price point, okay? So month two, generate one to two new clients. And I also want them to, to book three to six more appointments. So I, those are my big rocks. If you get 
one or two clients and you generate three to six appointments, you are knocking it out of the park. If you're not doing that, we're going to have a conversation about what you need to do to be on track to do that. And usually it's going to be that we're going to throttle the amount of lead generation you're going to do. So with those big rocks, I'm also going to give them the checklist of stuff that they are going to need to do to stay on track with our systems and stuff. And also to get that outcome, like those two big rocks are going to come from a lot of the stuff that I need them to do to, co to continue their momentum. So for example, they're going to come to the scripting and training. They're going to be doing 400 to 600 conversations throughout the course of their second month. I want them to follow up with 150 of the people that they put in the database because we don't just touch them once. We're going to have a second phone call. And between the time that we first contacted them and that second phone call, they would have gotten an email, a little package in the mail or whatever. They're going to have some of my correspondence hitting them. Um, we're going to have them go out and tour some local inventory. I want them to be touring homes every week so that they understand what things look like. And I want them to shadow a listing presentation. So there's my checklist. Sign one or two clients, generate three to six more appointments. Those are our big rocks. And then it's scripting, it's conversations. I want to know that they're following up with their sphere of influence, the people that they put in my database when they first started. They're going to go on some property tours and they're going to shadow me in an example of attending an appointment. I'm going to try to bring them on a doozy. I, I want the new agent to attend a, a good signable appointment with me in their second month so they can watch me convert a seller. Okay, let's talk about month three. So month three with a new agent on your team is really where you are deciding if they're going to continue. This is, if they've made it this far, you want to keep them and they're proving to you that that's the right choice. Okay, so what do they have to do? Well, first off, I want them to write an offer or maybe two. Again, if you're in a lower price point, you might want to see more. It really depends on the transactional volume that happens every time they sell a house. So what, how much is the commission? That's going to basically throttle your expectations. I want them now to demonstrate that they're on pace to generate the appointments I would expect long-term from them. So in the third month on my team, a new agent should be right about at a clip that would represent long-term success with my team. Now, in a high price point market, this might be one or two actual appointments. Most of the time, you're going to see between three and eight appointments being the benchmark for what an agent needs to generate consistently through their career to, to meet team's goals. Okay. I also want them to put one transaction on the book. So remember that the big goal in the second month with the agent was that they were going to generate a bunch of appointments. They're going to sign one or two clients. I want one of those clients to come across the line. That would be a huge win. Now, sometimes in their third month, they'll toss an offer out and it'll get batted aside or something will go wrong. So I would, I would provide a little bit of extra time at the end of the third month if they hadn't yet written a transaction. Like I'm going to make a judgment call, but I want them to look at their goals and see, I need to be booking a ton of appointments and I need to close a deal in month number three. Okay. I'm also going to have goals surrounding them signing some new clients because in month two, they signed a new client. I, in month three, they should have more momentum. So maybe they're going to sign two or three new clients, whatever is appropriate in your market. And here's the thing. We want to set goals that are just a little bit out of reach for them. We want to make it something that's going to be hard to do, but it's possible. And when you get to the end of the third month, you make a judgment call, right? I'm going to look at this and I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I also had a bunch of stuff that I wanted in month three, like 
demonstrating proficiency with scripts. Um, I want them to do a, a mock listing presentation in front of the team and take some feedback. Um, I want them to maintain lead generation standards and stuff. You notice that I'm getting less detailed in the stuff that I'm describing, just saying like, well, you should know this by now. Every week you're doing one to 100 to 150 conversations. I shouldn't need to tell you that. Just maintain our standards. That's our team standard. Everyone's doing that. But um, I'm, I'm going to look at all this at the end of the third month and I'm going to look at the new agent and I make a judgment call. This is stuff that we put on paper, black and white, and we're you know circling the big rocks and making it a, a big deal because we want to be really, really clear with them. If someone gets 90% of it done and culturally they're a great fit with the team, I can see that they're working. I know they had a couple struggles and they responded well to feedback. You're on the team, buddy. Like I want to be with you. If they're missing a whole bunch and I saw excuses and they were complaining and there was always a reason that they didn't want to do something. I don't want to continue. And, and it's going to be more based on my experience coaching and working with them than whether or not they check the box. This is a measuring stick for you to make a judgment call. And trust me when I say trust your gut, there is nothing more important than trusting yourself and following what your intuition tells you about someone. I've had so many experiences in my career where I hired someone and I kept on thinking if I changed something or if they changed just a little bit, or, you know, maybe if I put them in a different seat on the bus, the, the, they all of a sudden change what they've been showing me so clearly again and again and again. And it's painful to me because I feel dumb that I keep doing this. And, and it's hard because you kind of love people and you want to see them be the best version of themselves that they can be, but you can't do that for them. Only they can. You can give them the environment. You can prop them up. You can create the, the structure that's going to help them hold themselves to the standard that would get them there. But if they just consistently again and again and again are proving to you that that's not how they're going to operate, you got to listen to what they're showing you. You got to believe what they're showing you and you got to listen to your gut because if you carry it out, I guarantee it's not going to get better. Okay. And, and that's really what this is for. This is this whole 90 day plan for a new, anyone in your business. The reason that there's a probation period is because we, if we set clear goals, what it does is it makes it natural that if they're behind, they would naturally go on a performance improvement plan or you would let them go. Okay. And this is just a, a clean way for you to help people understand what success looks like, looks like with you. Okay. Um, it's to let them know what success looks like. And it's also to help them understand that you're not managing them. You're not firing them. You're not letting them go from the team. You're managing the expectations. And if they don't meet the expectations, they are seeing themselves out of the business. And here's the deal. Usually when you set a high bar, and people don't need it, they know that they're not a fit. And when you have that conversation, most of them just say, I get it. And I think you're right. It's better for me just to move on and do something different. You know, I'll just say this, being a member of a real estate team can be an incredible opportunity. Most of the strongest realtors had an experience early in their career where they joined a team, they saw how it was done at a high level. That's how I started. It was amazing. And what most teams will provide is a chance to measure yourself up and really, you know, show yourself shining in your best light. It, it really gives you the opportunity to focus on the 20% and do the right things. 
And at the same time, if you're not going to do the right things and be really focused on the big rocks of the business, and you're going to kind of like fiddle along uh, as an agent on a team, a team's a bad deal. If you're only writing four or five deals a year or, you know, whatever, the numbers are really low financially, you should just go do four or five deals alone and keep more money. The way that people win on a team is by using all that leverage, by using all the support to do more and more and more. And and with the help of the team, everyone gets way more because you're in your sweet spot. You're doing your unique ability. You're just moving forward on the one thing that you rock at. Woof. Okay. So that's goals. And remember, I said, we're going to talk about standards. That was an easy one. We're going to talk about goals. That's the meat and potatoes today. But there is one more thing that's really important that you set with people. And that's expectations. Expectations are about how you interact with someone. So my standards are, here's how you show up. My goals are, here are here's how we're going to measure you. And my expectations are, here's how you and I are going to have hard conversations. Here's how you and I are going to interact. Here's how we're going to communicate with each other and how we're going to show each other that we respect each other. And this is a simple conversation that nearly everybody skips. Okay. So setting new expectations when someone comes in doesn't need to be difficult. It doesn't need to be a huge ordeal. It doesn't need to be some formal announcement. It's a simple conversation. And really there's only a couple things that I really want to do when I set expectations with a new hire. One is I want, to ex- I want to set expectations of how we win with each other. I want to set expectations of how we lose with each other. And I want to set expectations of how we have harder conversations. Those are the only things I want to have a conversation around. So first of all, how do I win with you? And I'm going to start by asking them. So I'm, I'm in the interview process. One of the things that I'm going to ask is, how do I win with you? And they're going to say, well, you know, I, I want to see a certain level of support. I want to know that if I need help, you're going to be there for me. They're going to say whatever they're going to say. They're going to ask me how they win with me. If they don't, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to say, hey, here's how you win with me. It's really simple. I need to see that you're putting in the effort. And if you tell me you're going to do something, you do it. Those are the only two things I ask. I know that you can't control the results of every situation. But I do know that you can control the effort you put into it. So I need to see you putting in the effort. If I see you putting in effort and the results aren't showing up, then I'm going to help you fix it. If you're not putting in the effort, then I'm not going to want to spend my time with you. And if you tell me that you're going to do something and you do it, I'm going to feel great. Here's how you lose with me. It's the opposite of that, right? The way that you lose with me is by not trying I don't mind if you try and it doesn't work. I'd rather see you try again and again and again and, and keep button up against something because then I'm going to be able to help you fix it. But if you're not trying, I'm not going to want to have you around. And then the second thing, and this is going to ruin our relationship together, is if you tell me you're going to do something and you don't do it, I, I'm, there's nothing that, that puts me off of being around someone more than that. And it's simple because if you don't want to do something, just tell me you don't want to do it or you're not going to do it. And then I won't expect that you're going to do it. Okay. Now that doesn't excuse you from the minimum standards of our team, by the way, if you're not going to do in our, in our environment, if you're not going to keep up with the rest of us, we're not going to want you around either. But at the very least, don't tell me that you're going to try to, that you're going to do something and then not do it. And that's really simple. And then I'm going to ask them as well. Hey, by the way, how do I lose with you? And you're going to learn a little bit about them from this. And then finally say, look, there are going to be times in our work together that we're going to have to have a hard conversation. It might be that something got mixed up. It might be that something really bad happened. And, or it might be that 
you're not meeting our expectations and I need to be real with you about it. How do you want me to have those conversations? Usually you're going to hear that um, they want to have it in private and that's how you should have those conversations. Um, I also usually like to tell them what to expect. Like, look, I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you, but I also want it to be a conversation that you're comfortable having. So in terms of directness, on a scale of zero to 10, how direct do you want me to be with you? I'm going to ask someone to tell me this when they start working with me. How direct do you want me to be with you when we need to have a hard conversation? Zero to 10. They're going to say usually seven to 10. They're going to be in there somewhere. And then ask them to give you an example. Because my, my example of 10 out of 10 directness is probably a lot more direct than they're used to. And I want to understand how they feel. And then I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to sit the new hire in front of me. I'm going to say, hey, by the way, there's going to be something at some point that I do that you don't like. And here's how I want you to approach it with me. And for me, I'm, I'm going to ask for 10 out of 10 directness. I'm going to be like, just come straight at it. Don't be a dick about it. And I want you to bring a solution. Say, hey, you know, next time, here's what I think we should do instead. But I want that directness. Okay. So I'm going to set these expectations. And now we've got a really good understanding right out the gate of how to communicate together. And in those first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days with this person in my environment, Chances are all of these situations are going to come up. They, they said they were going to do something. They didn't do it. I'm going to address it with them. I'm going to be as direct as they coached me to be. I'm going to do it in the way that they're comfortable with, but I'm going to do it. And hopefully they have an opportunity to have the same kind of conversation with me. If we do all of this, when we bring someone in, what's going to happen is they're going to know where to focus. They're going to know how they're being measured. They're going to have real clarity on what's the most important. They're going to know what's going to happen and how to handle it when things come off track. And if you do that, they're going to enjoy working with you, even in the hard stuff, because you were fair with them. You were honest and you set everything up with absolute clarity from the beginning. Don't skip this step. I know I'm telling you all these different things you should do when you first start working with someone. And here's the deal. I know it's a lot, but remember, not only are you going to spend so much time and energy and investment with these people, they're also hopefully going to become a wealth determiner for you. They're going to be someone who determines how wealthy and successful you become because you're going to have to trust them and they're going to build things that hopefully they're better at building than you are to help you get what you want with your mission in your life. So the time you spend up front is the best investment you can make in, in making sure that you're not missing anything or screwing anything up along the way when you want to bring someone in. Okay. Uh, I hope that this was useful. I love this topic because it's a tricky conversation, but if you do it right, it really, really makes a big difference and you're helping them in their lives through it as well. So as always, I'm grateful for your time. Uh, I'm grateful for all the people who take the time to listen to this and I'm looking forward to making the next one and we'll see you next week.